Easter's kind of one of those funny things to where it's a, a time where, you know, it's like the biggest crowd and the biggest thing. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, Jesus is the God of resurrection uh, every single day, okay? So uh, I'm not going to get too caught up in the pageantry of today, but I just want to tell you that, uh, that God is God, um, and, uh, and he's awesome. He's incredible. He's, he's unbelievable. He's beautiful. I think about the seraphim that fly around the throne and get to lay eyes on King Jesus all the time. And if they could come down here today and preach this sermon, what do you think they would say? I think they would say, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's glorious. And he is, my friends. He is so wonderful. He's so beautiful. Oh, God, if you could have saw me who I was before I met Jesus, man. If you could have saw me, oh, I was a mess. I was a mess. I didn't know which end was up. I'm just going to be real transparent today. I used to stay up all night, and I was the night owl. I was the party guy. But nobody knew the root of why I was the up late at night party guy. I was hit with such anxiety and fear about going to sleep and that if I went to sleep, I would die. That that was the root that motivated me to look like I was the life of the party. See, what I found is, is death will inform a lie in my life and begin to make me posture in a new way to make it look like life. And some of you are trying to pretend that you're alive. And I want to tell you something, God knows better. That the root of that thing that is informing that lie in your life, you can prop yourself up and fool me. But let me tell you something, you can't fool the living God. Can't fool him. But now, man, I can lay my head on that pillow. Man, I sleep like a baby. You say, well, that don't sound like much of a deal. If you knew what was going on in my head, you would say, wow, that's a big deal. Huh? <sighs> if you hung around me with a de- for a day, you would think I was crazy. But if you got in my head after 10 seconds, you'd be like, get me out of here. Okay? <laughs> See, we're all kind of messed up. We're all pretty, pretty crazy. But we've got this beautiful God that just comes into the middle of our crazy. And he interrupts our crazy. And he's not run off by your crazy. And it don't matter what you can do, you're not going to shake the love of God. He loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can spend the rest of your days trying to get him to hate you and he'll never do it. You can't move the heart of God like that. You're not that powerful. You know why? Because God isn't parsing love out. God is love. See, when you are the personification of something, you're all love all the time to everybody. That Jesus doesn't love Mother Teresa 80% and then you 20% and then 
And then Emily, 5%. I mean, he, he can encounter every single person 100% of his love all the time, real time, right there, wherever you're at. And he'll meet you right into that place because God is not doing love. He is love. He is love. Yeah. And so God wants to interrupt our processes and interrupt our little sweet little plan that we've got that he might meet us in a place of brokenness and find us and restore us back to what we are supposed to be and that's sons and daughters. Yeah, sons and daughters, that's what he's doing. I can remember being in Texas and I'd go to Texas in the summertime. And I would stay with my sister. And they had bought my nieces a Razor scooter. Y'all ever seen these Razor scooters? I know why they call them a Razor scooter now. The wheels are this big on them things. And if the wheels are that big, that means when you come up to a bump that's just a little bump, those wheels can't handle that size of just even the smallest bumps. Well, then on these Razor scooters, they did something else. They motorized them. <laughs> and kept the wheels that big. So I got out there, and I look in the garage. I say, what's that there? Pink Razor scooter, huh? Hmm. I need to take that bad boy for a spin around the block here. <laughs> so if you want to get a guy excited, just give him something fast, and he'll revert right back to, like, the kid in the sandbox, right? I've been trying to get my wife to let me get a motorcycle. Once, twice, three times the lady. She tells me no every time, though, so can't move her hard on that one. But, but I'm sitting there, and, and this thing had a top speed of 15. Now, I know 15 don't sound like much, but when you're on a Razor scooter, 15 might as well be like 150, man. It's fast. And so, man, I thought I was so cool. I think I had my shirt unbuttoned and summertime, hat backwards, man. I'm just too cool, you know. And I get on this Razor scooter, and I get on the sidewalk, and I just got it pegged out. Well, as I get more comfortable, I start going, you know, one-hand mode. And <laughs> you know, switch hands, you know, kind of. But then something interrupted my process. And... I went from the coolest guy to flying over the handlebars of this Razor scooter, and I slid on my shoulder and my face for about 10 feet on that sidewalk. Now, something happens when you fall down like that. First of all, you got to check and make sure nobody's looking. 
So my head went up, and I'm looking around. Don't look like anybody's looking. But then the next thing as a man, what you've got to do is you've got to act like you ain't hurt. <laughs> so after I found the coast was clear, I got up. <laughs> I got back on that thing, and I parked it. So I wanted to investigate. What in the world? How in the world did I fly over the handlebars going 15 miles an hour on a Razor scooter? So I started looking back down that sidewalk. And wouldn't you know it, one blade of grass <laughs> had popped up and bowed up the concrete sidewalk. First of all, how does a blade of grass and a little seed bust up concrete? Second of all, how did a seed get underneath concrete? It's like Jesus is the seed that's planted in the hard ground of the universe. And it doesn't look like much. A matter of fact, it is pretty doggone. Can I say that on Easter? Doggone. Is that okay? It's pretty doggone insignificant. Natalie, can you even just, I mean, I don't even know if you've got a Zoom on there that can get this. I mean, I'm sorry, but come on now. Yeah, it's already in there. I know. That's what I thought. I mean, look at that thing. I mean, you talk about something that looks so insignificant. I mean, that's just pitiful, to be honest. But something like that was enough to stop me on my tracks and get me to reevaluate the course that I was on. That Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. No, Jesus, no, no. It's like a powerful empire that comes in and forces his will on the other people. No? Sorry, Manus, you're going to have to do some vacuuming today. Get the shark. No, it's a, a seed that's got to go through a process in order... To make life. Yeah. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It is the smallest of all seeds. But then something happens to the seed. And the seed begins to grow. 
And the potential and power that's in this can buckle the concrete of the nations. powerful and here I was on my journey and somewhere somehow a seed gets planted and I wreck and then have to reevaluate everything in my life and this is what I found out that every human crisis Every existential crisis is always pointing me back to the ultimate crisis, which is Christ being murdered in the hands of sinful men and being put up on a cross. What do I do with that reality? What kind of God surrenders himself into the hands of sinful men to accomplish his purposes? What kind of power is that to say, I'm not going to manipulate you, but I'm going to get my way either way. I don't even have to change your mind, and I'm going to elevate my kingdom throughout the furthest corners of the universe. That, my friend, is power. And as soon as you begin to operate in this kind of a seed, kingdom, reality, Suddenly, as insignificant as you feel, you realize, wait a second, how much potential is in there? Because I can count the seeds in an apple, but I can't count the apples in a seed. I'll say it again. I'm looking for more than five claps. I need it. My ego is just... I can count the amount of seeds in an apple, but I can't count the amount of apples in a seed. It's Easter. Y'all going to scare somebody doing that. I ain't been to church in a while now. I'm looking for a happy medium there, okay? Work with me. Work with me. That Jesus' life Look like this. I mean, <laughs> here's a 30-year-old construction worker with no education, homeless, no place to live, and yet he's changed the course of human history. See, see, you're looking at your situation like this, but you don't know the potential that is in that right there. You, you don't know. You've underestimated what God has put on the inside of you, that you're made in the image of God and that he's got a plan for you and that he's got something great for you. And he ain't asking you to be anybody else than yourself. He's calling you to something greater than you could even know. And yeah, it looks like that, but if you'll get over yourself and if you'll put yourself in the ground with him, something beautiful can come out. See, we miss God all the time because we're looking for something big. 
And God's like, if you can't see me in the details, then we can't have fellowship with each other. When God started doing big things in my life, you know what happened? I started thanking him for little things. And what I found is, is we are blind to everything God's doing in our life. I say, God, oh, wow, look at that little thing. Thank you, God. Wow, look at that little thing. Thank you, God. Wow, look at that little thing. Thank you, God. Then all of a sudden, big stuff started happening. It's like God's saying, I need you to identify with me. And if you'll identify with me, I know it looks powerless. I know it looks like they got you where they want you. I know it looks like you're being buried. But the reality is, God said, no, you're just being planted. You're just being planted. Yeah. Yeah, you're just being planted. And this is the life that God's calling us into. I love it. I love what he says in John chapter 12. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth... And dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and it's like the very thing we're trying to avoid is the very thing that brings fruitfulness in life. It's the kingdoms upside down, man. God's kingdoms upside down. He goes on to say in John 12, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men, literally in the Greek, drag, I'll drag all men unto myself. In other words, when I surrender and give myself unto the Father's plans, there's nothing anybody can do about it to hinder what I want to do in their life. That's how gravity works. Something bigger sucks in something smaller. So Jesus says the cross is going to be the biggest centerpiece of human history. And it's going to be so weighty that it's going to drag men and women into it, even unbeknownst to themselves. That because of... A Jewish <laughs> carpenter, we're meeting some 2,000 years later in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I think he can do it. I think he can do it. I think he can do it. And he is doing it. He is doing it. He's drawing us into his life. And the very thing that we're afraid of, death, he says, no, that's just a new beginning. That's just something that's got to happen in order for us to enter into the beautiful thing that God has for us. The cross is so powerful that Paul said, if the principalities and powers, the demonic realm, would have known that Jesus' death would accomplish salvation of the world, they would have never crucified him. That's how far ahead God is of the devil. <laughs> they think they're running something. 
<laughs> but they're not running anything. They're playing into the hands of God. They're playing into the hands of God. So that brings up a funny thought that I've had. If the principalities and powers wouldn't have killed Jesus, then they would have killed anyone who would have tried to kill Jesus. That's how maniacal the devil is. Jesus is so much greater. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. I'm not going to take long today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 42. And I want you to look how Paul changes the language of some things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. It is the same with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Using seed language, did you catch it? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. You see in a, you see in a prince, you see in a pattern here, right? It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Uh, if there is a natural body, then there also is a spiritual body. It's like God's removing all the scary language of death. And it's saying, no, actually, that's when life actually starts. And you're just a seed going to go into the ground and something greater is going to come out of it. It's like uh, being afraid of dying is like being afraid of a garden. I don't know about you, but I ain't ever come up on a patch of tomatoes and said, ah! variety too. Don't think I don't know about my vegetables, man. I, I know that's strange. Just go with it, okay? We're just going with it. Just go with it. We're going somewhere. So this thing started in a garden that God was trying to plant. And now it's going to end in a garden. And you're the seed. You're the garden. You're the garden. You're the garden. You're the thing full of potential that God wants to plant in his life, in his death, burial, and resurrection, and bring out all the stuff that's on the inside of you that needs to come out. And you know how people miss it? They're too afraid to die. Oh, Pastor Matt, I ain't ready yet. You know, I got to sow my wild oats. And when I get all good and cleaned up, then I'm going to come in when I'm 80 years old on a rocking chair and say that final Jesus, and then I'll get taken up into glory, brother. 
It's like, well, I'm glad you got it so planned out. I don't even know what's going on tomorrow. And Jesus is calling you to life and life more abundant. This ain't preacher talk. I've lived on both sides of the fence. I can tell you which one's better. And you can let the devil lie to you and stay in that miserable life you're in, or you can come up out of it and give your life to Jesus and really find out what life's all about. Yeah. You can come out of it. God's planting a garden, and you're the seed he needs. God was looking for a family, so what does he do? Puts a son in the ground. What comes out? Many sons, many daughters. A whole family of the people of God. What we called scary, God says, no, that's my entrance. That's how I'm going to make life. And I'm going to do it unbeknownst to everybody. Caesar in the religious realm is going to think they won today. But all they did was create a movement and a following that can't be stopped, that can't be thwarted, and that is going to go into the earth victorious forever and ever and ever and ever. That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a picture of my life. That's why Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives. Christ who lives in me. Come on. Come on. That the death, burial, and resurrection is an invitation that I might share in that life and relationship with Jesus. Verse 45, so it is also written, the first Adam became a living person. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Wow. However, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth made of dust. The second man is from heaven, like the one made of dust. So, too, are those made of dust like the one from heaven so too those who are heavenly. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, get this, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. See, what happens is, is Jesus' resurrection changes our destiny because the old saying was, from dust you've came, to dust you'll return. But that isn't what Paul teaches. Paul says, from dust you came, to God you go. And then when we get born again, it even changes our past to where we're born from above. So it's not from dust to dust. It's from God to God. And everything in between is a relational journey with him to find out more about how beautiful he is and display that into the world. And that's the plan of heaven. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to know where you really came from. Some people make a big deal about your sins. I won't. Because I think sin gets enough airtime and enough glory. I'm going to make a big deal about Jesus and the cross. That's what I'm going to make a big deal about. 
You already know what you got wrong in your life. God ain't mad at you. <laughs> He's trying to get you to remember your original identity, and that is in the image of God. Satan wants to remind you of your sin and your past so that you won't know you had an origin in God. This was the life that empowered Jesus. John 13, when he goes to washing feet, it says this, he remembered from whence he came. He remembered from whence he came, so he took the position of a slave and washed the feet of his, of his disciples. See, the reason why we don't enter into great service and great acts, we don't even know where we came from. And God's trying to remind us, you came from God. Why are you serving the devil? You came from Jesus. Why are you serving lesser virtues? You came from him. You came from him. I remember when my mom, my first rent house. Oh, my gosh. You remember that, mom? Oh. Don't ever rent a place when your landlord lives in Florida. <laughs> it ain't a quick trip to get some stuff fixed. Especially if he's a cheapskate. Andy, if you're watching, you need to give your life to the Lord. <laughs> I didn't say your last name, so... I wanted to. <laughs> but I was so tired of that place. My parents had come up, my first ministry job, and stayed there for, I don't know, a year and a half, a couple years. And uh, so I was got another apartment, and my parents came up there and were unloading the house and uh, packing up. And we got everything packed up, and my mom is in there scrubbing the baseboards. Cleaning that place better than it looked when we got there. I said, what are you doing? Let's get out of here. She said, no, Matt, we're Christians, and we don't leave things like that. See, she knew from which she came. So she was willing to go further than she probably should have. And I've never forgotten that. And I was the preacher. Don't you hate it when you... You need to know from where you've come. Or you'll keep doing the same old thing. Some of you have been doing the same thing for 30 or 40 years, and you're thinking it's going to change. And God has planted a seed in the sidewalk, and you're on your little pink razor scooter, and he's throwing you over the handlebars today to say, would you just stop and reevaluate your life and realize that there's a seed that was planted on Calvary that came up in resurrection, and he wants to address you and meet your heart today. And you can trust this king. You can trust this king. He's good. He's good. Verse 50. Now, this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. 
Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. You ready? We will not all sleep, (laughs) but we will all be changed. See, Paul, by the direction of the Spirit, now he changes death to sleep. So death is like this garden that produces this beautiful harvest. Now Paul transitions and says, yeah, that's not death. That's just taking a nap. That's just a brief little snippet. And how many of you have ever been afraid of a nap? Oh, my goodness. If you got small children, you're trying to find ways to take a nap. <laughs> you should see me and my wife. She's like, all right, you go, to bed, you go to bed tonight, and then if you wake up before me, you get the baby, and then I'll sleep in while you're what? And that's what I found is that naps are actually a sign of maturity. Because my kids will not take a nap. (laughs) You got to pace and shake and sing. (laughs) And me, I'm just like, show me a pillow in a flat place. (laughs) Paul's like, that death thing, oh yeah, it's a nap. Oh, yeah, that murder on the cross thing? Yeah, it's a seed being planted. You see the bravery in that? And here's the deal. The average life expectancy in Paul's day, 35 years old. Give yourself a hand clap. You've made it. You've made it. You've made it. 35 years old. Half the children didn't make it past the age of 10. And here's Paul standing up in the middle of that day and saying, Death, you don't have any hold on us. It's taking a nap. It's planting a garden. It's nothing. Why do you think the first century Christians were throwing themselves into the lion's den and getting their head lopped off and everything else? Because it was just taking a nap going on to the real reality that God had for us. Makes me wonder, why don't we see any great exploits? We don't want to take a nap. We got too much running to do. Can you imagine in a day where people's dying all around you? And he says, oh man, that's sleeping. That's kid stuff. What's driving your life? the fear that's driving your life, that you're covering up, the anxiety that's driving your life. It's nothing. God's calling you to take a nap, to rest in him and what he's done for you. The word Paul uses here means to still, to calm, or to quiet. We don't all sleep, but we'll all be changed. (laughs) 
and just start telling people, you can't threaten me with a net. Don't threaten me with a net. Huh? And that's why Paul's language was always so, so foreign to our day. What does he say? To live is Christ. To die is gain. It's like, <laughs> hello. Listen, if you live the right kind of life, your life will live on past you. Remember, you're a seed. You're a seed. Don't get caught up in the here and now. You're a seed, man. Endless possibilities when you get placed in the ground. Well, we better hurry. People's fidgeting. Verse 52, in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. Now, when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Paul is talking trash to death. He already reduced it to a seed, you being a seed being planted into great potential. Now he's talking about taking naps, and now he just gets right in the face of death, and he just gets down. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? He's taunting the enemy that has plagued the universe throughout all time. It's brought such sadness and sorrow, and he just gets right in his face and says, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And some of you need to learn how to talk trash to death. Because Paul ain't the only one that can talk trash into death. It's an invitation for us to start to talk trash to death and start to live lives that look a little more victorious than what we're living. Men's best efforts to kill Jesus only serve to make it to where he can never leave again. The murder was to get him out of the way. He pops up out of the ground, bloop. <laughs> and then says this, even to the end of the age, I'll be with you always. <laughs> you can't get rid of him. You must deal with this king. You can't get rid of this king. You've got to worship this king. You've got to give your life to this king. It's the only option you have. There's no other options in this earth. He's the only way. He's it. He's it. Get the other choices off the table. There's one way to go with this thing. And he ain't going nowhere. He don't care what you think about him. He's not going anywhere. And I ain't going anywhere. I'm with Jesus now. I ain't going nowhere. My dad's friend told a story. Him and his wife were fighting, and his wife threw the, bit, threw the suitcase on the table and started packing it. So he threw his up there and started packing it. She said, where are you going? He said, I don't know, wherever you're going. 
I'm going wherever you're going, Faith. I'm going wherever you're going. Paul just says, he just looks at death's faith and says, your mama. If death had a mama, but I'm not sure. See, he's not afraid. Aren't you tired of living afraid? God's like, dude, quit being afraid, man. Come walk with me. Let me show you some things. Verse 56, the the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. Get this. Somebody needs to get this in your heart. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How can Paul talk like that? Because Jesus goes into every shadow of the human existence and lights it up and says, there's nothing to be afraid of. What was that? Kim thought something was under her bed. Was there something? There's something. Yeah, what was that? Now, here's the story to that. She's learning to walk in something I've taught her. Because before that, guess who had to check up under the bed? So Jesus has gone before us and showed that there's nothing to be afraid of. So now you can walk in the confidence in the footsteps of Jesus and say, man, I ain't scared of that. Yeah. Come to find out, it was the shadow of like a stuffed animal or something. It's actually something you'd want to cozy up to. Many times the devil. No, I was bold. I was bold, she said. See, many times your great, the destiny or your purpose in life, Satan will hide in the depths of the biggest fear that you have. And the reason why that happens is God wants you to go on a journey with him to show you you don't have to be afraid. And so he hides our destiny in the place of our fear so that we learn what it is to be on a faith journey with him. If he gives us our destiny separate from him, then we've lost anyway. That we need the relationship with God as we're going on that journey so that he can be the treasure and the prize when we get there. Otherwise, we'll worship the destiny and not worship Jesus. I love David's heart and how David operated. Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But David's writing from a different place in time. Now watch what the Gospel of Matthew says. Remember that? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, check this out. 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. That Jesus goes to the most horrific, unjust murder on a cross, comes back and says, hey guys, it's okay. Nothing to be afraid of. Matter of fact, he's surprised that they don't even know that that was going to happen because he told them the whole time. It's like the father goes into tomorrow, speaks back to us today, and says it's going to be okay. Reminds me of that movie. It's called Interstellar. Don't, don't shout on that. People think you're not saved. You're talking about movies. But the earth has been rendered inhabitable, and the only way for the plan forward is to find another planet to live on. So NASA gets all their resources together to go. And while they're preparing, the lead character, the astronaut, is dealing with this, uh, this engagement with his daughters where book, books are coming off the shelf and different things. And she's like, Some, something's speaking to me. Something's happening. It's, this means something. And he's like, oh, it's probably just this or that. So he goes up into the and they find out none of the planets are, are inhabitable. And somehow there's some kind of string theory stuff that goes above and beyond what I know. And he goes to a place where he can go back in time to speak to his daughter. So what he didn't realize is that while he was on earth with the daughter, it was his future self sending clues to the daughter that when he left, she would take these clues and have the key to save the earth. That's what I said. See, the father goes into the future and speaks to the daughter's present in order to help her shape the future and save humanity. Jesus went into the tomb and come out on the resurrection to speak back to us in our present day, to change our present, to say, you don't have to be afraid of death. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you solutions to walk this thing out. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is calling us to taunt death. Say, taunt death? I ain't even thought about that. Taunt death? I'm scared to death. God says, you need to start growing in your faith. You start growing in your relationship with him. You need to start talking to him again. Quit letting the hurt of others inform your life today. Because guess what? They're going on in loving life. You're the one trapped up, bound up. Let it go, man. Forgive. 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 Give yourself to this king. He loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much.
Would you pray with me, God?